0: Welcome to Inside Medical Malpractice. My name is Chris Rokosh. I'm a registered nurse, legal consultant and educator, and the president of Connect Medical Legal Experts. Each month we'll be looking at the malpractice issues from different perspectives, featuring honest, candid, insightful interviews by people and professionals with a wealth of information to share. Thanks for spending time with me today. Now let's dive into this fascinating subject. Welcome back to Inside Medical Malpractice with Barb Leggett. If you haven't already listened to the longer podcast with her, don't miss it. We talked about many, many things, but one of the most fascinating being the increased risk of injury if you're admitted to a hospital during the July 1st weekend, the Christmas holiday, or other longer holiday weekends. Barb and I specifically discussed a case that went to trial a few years ago that involved a serious injury of a jaundiced newborn in a special care nursery on Christmas Day and Boxing Day. But we talked about many other things that we also offer some strategies for keeping yourself or a loved one safe in the event that you do end up in a hospital. It's a great episode and you won't want to miss it. But we're back now to talk more about Barb Leggett herself. We're going to talk about some of her choices, her current life, her future plans, and whatever else comes up in this easy conversation.
1: Well, thank you for having me back. I, uh, I, I'm just wondering if I could add something to a question that you asked about fees. And, and in keeping with your desire to make sure people really are educated about this field of, of practice, um, in Ontario, and I don't I can't speak to other provinces, but in Ontario, as of July the 1st, we lawyers have to disclose our fee arrangement, um, our contingency fee percentages on our website if we if we do charge them. So individuals can go to the website of any lawyer that they're they're uh, looking at and uh, see what they charge. But another thing to be cautious about, um, this isn't like buying um, a toaster and you go to you know the best price that you can get for exactly the same toaster, lawyers and toasters are pretty different. And it's important- what? Yeah. <laughs> they are? <laughs> yeah, one lawyer is not uh, the same as the other one. So the fact that somebody is charging a lesser amount may mean that they have a high volume practice, which may mean they're not going to pay as close attention to you. Not to say that high volume practices don't, Um, offer quality. But that might be uh, something that you look at, ironically, that the lower price may mean that they're trying to build a business that they don't have. It may mean inexperience. It may mean just uh, um, what we call a mill. And you you might want to be cautious of that. Uh, It's not the basis upon which you should choose your lawyer. Um, It can be, but uh, in, in um, I think a lot of our views, it's it's one of those things you get what you pay for.
0: Mm. Well, I'm so glad you brought that up, because certainly, you know, in talking a lot to public and family and nurses and doctors, um, you know, cost cost is prohibitive to even sometimes making the phone call. I don't think most people even understand particularly in medical malpractice that you could make a phone call for free and just get a i think most offers most lawyers including you probably offer some free assessment of the case and a free look at things but i man i because you know when you look at the statistics of um, the number of injuries and serious injuries that happen in hospitals versus the number of cases that ever see the light of day as a malpractice case. I, I you know, it's very discordant, you know, it's a hundred thousand to a thousand or some version like that. It's and so I talk to a lot of people and I say, why didn't you just at least check this out? You know, why didn't you make that phone call? And then cost is very often the very first thing that comes up. You know, there's other things, but cost is uh, one of the biggest factors. So Thank you so much for clearing that up. I think that's an important message to get out there.
1: It it is. And the other point about that that you've made is that most of us will uh, offer a free consultation. And if somebody's asking for money for a consultation for that very first phone call, you can hang up and move on because they're not uh, experienced. I, I don't know of someone with experience who would charge for that first phone call.
0: Well, there you go, folks, there's a good piece of advice right there. You heard it here. (laughs) That's good. All right, well, let's move on from that. But thank you so much for clarifying. I think it's great information for all of us to know. But now let's talk about you, Barb, a little bit more. Um, First of all, tell us, um, you know, I'm always in awe of People who go into law, because I think it's an incredibly challenging profession, and doubly enough, people who go into medical malpractice. I, for, as an outsider, I see it as an incredibly tough area of the law. Talk to us about why, how, and why you chose medical malpractice, and how and if being a woman has affected you as you grew your practice.
1: Well, um, I chose medical negligence um, out of interest. I was um, always, I always had this kind of a science bent. I know that a lot of people who go into law are more um, political science, English, history, philosophy, that kind of thing. But I came from more of a science background. Um, And if I'd have been something else, I I think I'd have had science in my life some way or another. And indeed, um, anatomy, physiology, uh, how the body works was always fascinating to me. And I, you know, when I was taking my early education and at the university level, those are the kinds of add-on courses that I chose, not the easy ones. I I chose them because I love that area, so I got a bit of a grounding in it. So when I moved into personal injury litigation, um, that was a natural, and I found an ability to understand the medicine, and to, by understanding the medicine and just even a car crash case. You could ferret out the false defenses, some of the things that, um, that, the old fashioned views that were held by physicians, and and that just naturally led to me getting into medical negligence after I had a few very complicated cases under my belt, and I just loved it. Did uh, you know bombed out a few times in the beginning, and just like I think I said in the last podcast, you're not a real. Doctor, till you've been sued. Well, you're not a real lawyer until you've lost. So, um, and and you be a very good one if you haven't lost because you don't know uh, what's coming at you. So um, that's that's how I got into it. But you asked about being a woman. Um, all the way through my career, I've been not necessarily the first, but one of a pretty rarefied group. Um. I, uh, I, I tried to make my way without relying on being a woman. Um, and I, I think ironically, it worked for me. I had an associate once tell me she was watching me conduct an exam for discovery in a spinal surgery case that went wrong. And this doctor opposite me was you know that the nice italian shoes with the tassels and a silk suit and it was kind of intimidating looking and he was kind of treating me like this you know girl girl lawyer you know that I, you you'll be you'll be okay sweetie and i'll just tell you everything i know well by the end of the examination he was sweating he was but you know he was quite agitated and honestly it worked for me you want to think i'm a girl lawyer who doesn't know anything you go right ahead and (laughs) fell into a whole lot of traps so that um i think that was something that actually worked for me is that i wasn't necessarily taken seriously um and then at the point that you are taken seriously um have you've it's because you have succeeded and uh that's how i i got through
0: Mm, that's really good. And I think that's really good advice. I mean, you don't have to, you know, we've all seen women who have become very masculine to play the game in a man's world. And we've seen women who've run away from or gone very sometimes sexualized to play the game in a man's world. But I certainly heard some good advice a few years ago. I think it was from one of the, uh, Rebecca Minhasan, I may be saying it wrong, but she started a brewery in Canada with her family. And I heard her speak one time about her her journey into the world of liquor sales and development uh, as a woman and she just said, you just need to go in there always acting like a woman but thinking like a man. And I'm like, damn right. <laughs> and I agree with you. Sometimes it's not a bad thing to have someone underestimate you and then just stand there in your own power and your own strength and your own knowledge. And like I get that sense from you right away. You're very approachable. You're very down to earth, but I personally wouldn't mess very much with you. <laughs>
1: it's No, no, it's, it's true. Um, I have not wanted to shy away from my femininity, but a professional feminism or femininity, however you want to call it. um, And I think that that works for me. I I remember Mm -hmm. a judge once saying that um, she was an early appointee as a, as a judge, a female appointee as a judge, and thought, you know, I'm I'm not, I'm a lawyer first and a woman second. And I thought, "Mm, that's not me. I'm, Everything I do is informed by who I am and my mm-hmm. life experience, and that happens to be a feminine perspective, and it has not held me back. So um, mm. I I think there's room for everybody.
0: Yeah, I agree. And that's a really good way to say it, that that who you are is who you are, and it affects how I know when I first moved from the realm of um, being a labor and delivery nurse to working in the medical legal world, it was as different as night and day. And my personality was quite, I felt like I had to be a different person and almost speak a different language and continuously edit myself in the words that I said. And the first two years of trying to be a different version of me in another world, in the legal world, was hard. You know, I, I didn't feel myself and I felt awkward. And even my family would say like, Chrissy, you're just getting weird. And so, I mean, <clears throat> at the end of that first couple of years, I just made a really clear decision. I'm going to bring myself to the table every single time. And I started bringing a loaf of banana bread to a lawyer if I was going to meet with them or taking them out for lunch or telling my stupid jokes or putting my hands on them if they had a sore neck, doing all those things I just naturally do. And my life and my business turned around at that point, I'd have to tell you, I became more successful, I became so much more comfortable in my own skin, because it just doesn't work to try to be someone else, does it? it? In the long run, it doesn't, it's not sustainable.
1: It isn't sustainable, it makes you very uncomfortable, it keeps you awake at night, you second guess everything that you do. Yeah. Um, and and obviously, I'm saying that from the perspective of somebody who tried to to do it the other way. And I just found it too aggressive. I, I, I was unhappy with practicing that way. So being me is is
0: is fine. I'm
1: I'm a woman first.
0: Well done. It looks good on your Barb. It really does. <laughs> it really does. So we talked about this briefly just a minute ago. Um now let me ask you another question first. What do you do when you're not busy being a lawyer? What are your favorite pastimes and hobbies and busyness?
1: Well I wish I could show you and I'm I'm going to probably after this because I do brag a little bit about gardening. Um, I always like to garden and I'm a flower landscape kind of gardener. Um, So I've I've always enjoyed doing that. But I have a cottage that is built on sort of an escarpment. um, And, you know, it's downhill and we look up at my husband's garage, we call it the Tajma garage, it's got a shop and a gator and just all kinds of toys that he seems to need at the cottage. And I was looking at the side of this garage and I'm at the cottage and I think oh I hate this so we beavered away and made tears and um, year after year after year grew this garden and it's now spectacular and people come from around the uh, the area to have coffee and take a look at it and we have a road association and it's now always at my place because it's got the beautiful garden to sit in so
0: oh,
1: nice. that's uh, that occupies me a fair amount from April through to well I took my daily roots out maybe just a couple weeks ago. So nice. And I have a worm farm to make oh, compost nice. yeah. worm <laughs> compost. Yeah. That probably is I know that you have another question. What do people not know about you? I would I'm going to guess that they don't know that I have a worm farm. <laughs>
0: Yeah, yeah, I a hundred percent wouldn't have known that. Like, how big is your worm farm? Like, give us a little bit more about the worm farm.
1: Well, worm farm. I'm a I'm a novice worm farmer. Um, it was one of my <laughs> pandemic projects. Um, I've always been, you know, worried about the environment and worried about, you know, my my footprint. I have a I have a huge footprint, right? I have a cottage, so I means I have two places, so I already have a a huge footprint. And um, what can I do to Limit it. We live by a river here in um, London, and it it has lots of animals. So composting is quite difficult. So I thought, well, I'll get a worm farm. So it's it's I don't know um, eighteen by eighteen, and you put them in a little bed, and you give them food, and you cut up the newspapers, and your coffee grinds, and you just don't put in lemons and banana peels, and about you know and meat. Substances, dairy, that kind of thing, but it's sort of like how you might run your composter. Sure. and then that you have this beautiful tailing to add
0: to your garden. Look at that. Yeah. look at that. <laughs> that is something no one knew about you and good on you. I've actually heard about your garden. I know someone who lives um, has a know, cottage
1: a, nearby, yeah,
0: has a cottage nearby, and that's one of the first things he'll often say about you. She is a neighbor and a beautiful gardener i've heard that about you so i'm glad that's a favorite pastime and what fun and you have those nice long summers there in ontario we do yes yes that's good so we talked about this just very briefly you talked about your your science anatomy and physiology background if you hadn't become a lawyer what career path would you have chosen
1: well i started out here's something else you don't know about me I started out thinking I might be a French teacher or a kindergarten <laughs> teacher. And I, in fact, my undergraduate was in child studies. So my my passion for children has you know, deep, deep roots. Um, so I, I, I thought about both of those careers. Um, but after second year, like many people, you kind of start to wonder, is that the right choice? And I applied to a lot of different things. I, you know, social work, um, kinesiology, chemistry and law. And out a second year, um, this is back in 76, I was accepted to law school. So I went mm. and, uh, but I think I could have taken a number of other paths. I think at some point I would have been in some form of teaching. And I see being a lawyer um, right from my first client appointment, through dealing with experts, through courtroom, um, all of, all aspects of my um, life is either learning or teaching.
0: Mm-hmm. So uh,
1: I, I think it would have had some kind of component like that.
0: Hmm. It's interesting. There's so many lawyers who had, who seem to have just kind of fallen into law, you know, and not that you just fell into it. I mean, you applied to it, but I'm always surprised at that. And I was at a really interesting conference um, the other night. It was a business It was a business gathering, about 150 people. And I won't even say what it's called, but it's called the F-Up Conference. I won't say that first word, but you know exactly what I'm talking about. And I bet 50% of the people who got up and spoke um, were lawyers who'd started out in law and just got into it and thought, I have different and other passions beside this. But man, their experience and their education as lawyers made them really fantastic business people. And, um, but I was just, I was sitting beside two, and two of the speakers that were up were lawyers that had changed careers kind of mid-path. But I think regardless of what you go into, it certainly gives you a solid foundation for for many, many other things, for many other things. So you are well into your career at this point. Um, if you went into law school in 76, you've been at this for th- four decades now, is that correct? Yes. Um what keeps you going? Like, what gets you up in the morning now?
1: Oh, that first latte, I think. Um, yeah. <laughs> now, what gets me up in the morning and keeps me going is my client's need. Uh, it's profound, it's great. If I think I can help them out, then I owe it to them to give them my best. And that's, it's highly motivating. I have to tell you, you know, Chris, because I represent so many disabled children. The parents that I meet in that process um, are wonderful. They are themselves inspiring that they've been dealt a a hand that maybe they didn't anticipate. And they just deal with it with such grace, Um, sometimes with pain that is very much hidden. And and, um, they honor me by sharing that with me. Um, But they really honor me by saying, I need your help to take care of this child in my future and in her future. And that's an enormous um, obligation that uh, you you just don't need any more motivation than that to to keep things keep things going.
0: Mm -hmm. Well said and honorable. And thank you. Thank you for doing the work that you do. What do you fuss about in the middle of the night?
1: Oh, did I remember to do X? Is there a hole in my case? Now, I have to tell you, I do a whole lot less of that now than I did 20 years ago, because I'm the type of person, and if you ask any one of my staff members, they'll say we have a protocol for everything. But that's because I think I've made every mistake already. And I know how to avoid making that mistake. I know how to conduct an analysis that is uh, bulletproof. And, you know, because I'm suing other professionals and physicians who have really got a lot of stuff to do other than answer my questions at a discovery or deposition or in a trial and be fretting about it, I think I owe it also to them to make sure that if I'm litigating a case against them, there's a good reason for it and that I have thought it through and that this is a, this is legitimate. Um, that works for my clients as well too. They don't want to know that they're being dragged into something because I think you talked about in the last case running into lawyers who ill-advisedly start a case because they think it's gonna be worth a lot of money. You have to be able to turn those down if the case mm-hmm. isn't
0: there. Right. <clears throat> well, I'm glad you're finding some peace, I think, pardon, many of us um, just do over time in our careers. um, We don't fuss quite as much. It just gets a little smarter and a little better and a little more prepared. So you've also been a very successful lawyer in your career. Um, And like I mentioned briefly yesterday, the word on the street is that you're one of the best in the country, Barb. Pardon my voice, excuse me. What is your top strategy or strategies for success?
1: Well, I guess that depends on what that means. Um, If success means that I have positive outcomes for my clients um, and have the respect of my colleagues, I think that uh, it is the words of JJ Robinette, a good lawyer is a good drudge. And that means you're somebody who is prepared to turn the pages, look up the words you don't know, think things through, analyze, be master of the facts, master of the law. It's just a lot of work. That's how you become a successful lawyer. The second component um, it is, I think, to surround yourself with successful people. So I joined organizations that Put me in touch with those people and that has been tremendously helpful too
0: mm, good i'd never heard that term before a good lawyer is a good drudge, <laughs> but it's um it's so perfectly exciting. <laughs> super exciting it sounds exciting yeah. <laughs> but it's perfectly clear I, I know exactly what you're saying i know exactly what you're saying so if you could go backwards what advice would you offer your younger self at this point
1: um it's funny when i saw that question i thought oh i was just at a mentoring dinner that the advocate society puts on and they ask us a very similar question what would you give young counsel as a as a piece of advice um and i think when you're career building you look at your career as something that you have to start and jam in and everything has to start right away but very often that coincides with family obligations young families and my advice is that you, you don't have to do everything all the time, all at once. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that there are stages in your career when certain activities will be available to you. And don't be afraid to say, no, can't do that right now. But please, I'm very interested. Ask me again. Um, I, I think people need to learn to say no to those, those additional things. That said, I think all of that additional stuff I did was valuable um my mother had to remind me that that young family hard work this too will pass and it did just didn't seem like it was ever going to end when you were in the middle of it Um, but i think it's being a bit kinder to yourself and pacing things out recognizing what stage of life you're in and embracing that and embracing your family Mm,
0: that is such good advice I know that was my own mom's advice to me a few times. Chris, you can have it all, but you can't have it all at the same time.
1: Because there are
0: a few years in the 20s and 30s where you just feel like you're going to spin off the face of the earth.
1: No kidding. (laughs) Those are hard decades.
0: Yeah. And it's so easy for me to recognize, too. And I try to, when I see someone sort of in that, to just say to them, look, these are the busiest and most expensive times of your life. Just slow down and do what you have to do. Don't do everything you want to do. And it's like you just said, it's gonna pass. Life gets easier. It Life does. gets easier. Yeah. yeah. What um what's one thing that people most often get wrong about you?
1: Um I I'm told I'm intimidating. I don't see myself that way. Um, I don't think my family sees me that way, but, um, I don't know that it, that's a really tough question for me because I've, you know, I've been, uh, likened to a barracuda and I, as I said, I don't see myself that way. I quite like people and, um, and maybe the intimidation comes from, know when you've worked hard and you know the case then it's kind of hard to trip me up so that's intimidating that's okay but uh i don't think that i am as an individual
0: Hmm. i would agree with that but you know i can see why people could say that about you i mean there's a very like i said openness approachable kind friendly side to you, but there's just something about you. Like I said, I, w- I wouldn't mess with you too much. <laughs> you know? I, I mean, until I knew you better, you know, I'd have to get to be your friend or something would have to change it because we are really, we don't know each other that well. We're just learning about each other, but, um, from the outset, but I think it isn't, I don't know that it's intimidation, but it's, um, there's a confidence about you. There's obviously a solid knowledge about you. There's a comfort of you just sitting in your own self. And all those things you described about yourself earlier are very true and they come across. So I hope, I mean, you're not scary, but you're you're strong. You're strong. That comes I like across. That I, yeah. I like that word. I like
1: that word. I like that word. I think some people are also quite surprised when they find that my happiest place is, you know, in April in my... My my yellow boots and my gardening gloves and my bug bug uh outfit. Yeah. That's the other thing we have in Ontario is a lot of bugs. Yeah. So uh yeah, yeah. So my muddy place is my happy place.
0: Oh, well that's good to know. And yeah. your worm farm, of course.
1: And my worm farm.
0: <laughs> is there anything else you want to share with us that people don't know about you besides the fact that you're a worm farmer? Any other surprising <laughs> gifts or talents? <coughs>
1: Well, you know, one of the other things that I really enjoy doing is long-distance swimming. I, um, what the, what My introduction to physiology was actually being a lifeguard and a uh, swimming instructor, and you had to learn all of the you know, inner workings of the circulatory system and whatnot. So um, I, uh, I I started that particular career when I was 13 years old, and by the time I hit university, didn't enjoy swimming very much, but it's come back to me in my adult life, and uh, so I swim three times a week or so for an hour and just really, really, really enjoy that. And then at the lake, nothing better than swimming in one of those crystalline lakes
0: in Ontario for hours. It's a, Nice. A joy. A joy. I want a good way to stay healthy too. I mean, it's one of the more perfect exercises, isn't it? It's great. That's yeah. great.
1: Yeah. Well, I learned I had back problems when I got grandchildren, and uh, they Mm. getting back into swimming was an important thing to do.
0: Yeah. Oh, your back looks a little fussy there, just when you change (laughs) positions. I could see. Darn it. Yeah, I know. Who's um, someone who's had an important influence on your life, real or otherwise? Tell us about that. Well, um, certainly my mom. Um,
1: My mother worked for a, a family doctor, actually, and. Um, she picked up a lot of things by most, osmosis. She had a grade 12 education. She was not a nurse, uh, but could have been, and, um, you know, worked very, very hard and took nothing for granted and didn't take anything that anyone said to her for granted. And I think that's allowed, that that had a great influence on me when it came to conducting analyses and um, formulating my my cross examination strategies and that kind of thing that looking a little bit critically at what um what people might be saying uh, to you and and uh, not being prepared to dig into that so she certainly was um a big influence and then another person i would i would have to say is i have a girlfriend who i met um who who uh let's see this was i've i've known her for 37 years, and she's also a lawyer, but uh, in the Crown's area, she's retired from the Crown's office. But we had our babies sort of in concert, got married at the same time, um, have been through thick and thin. And uh, you always need that person in your life who has a good sense of humor. So when you're starting to feel sorry for yourself, you know, call up Laura and she'll have you laughing and you won't take yourself so seriously anymore. And yeah, just get on with it. You know, she's British, get the stiff upper lip and go ahead.
0: (laughs) That's good. I'm glad, I'm glad you have that friend. I have four sisters who are very much like that. And there's, I mean, I get three to five seconds wine time and then that's the end of it. Like, come get over here and sit down, (laughs) get over and sit down. (laughs) let's cook or play cards or go out or shop or something like that enough you know enough good I'm glad you have that person in your life I'm really glad so you've seen some pretty significant changes in your business in the last few months Um, I don't know all the details but I've got a couple notice about what's going on and a change of contact information and stuff tell us a bit about what's happened and where you plan to be five years from now
1: well, uh, still doing what I'm doing. I, you know, feel like I'm still in my 40s. So, so long as that continues, I so lie. Um, I, um, our lease came up in August and I was at the point where I thought, you know, I'm going to embrace the pandemic. I am going to embrace the new normal and go a smaller footprint and have sort of offices that people can go in and out of and you know mainly work from home let my staff have flex hours let them we're, we're experimenting with a four-day work week um seeing how that goes so it, it was all those things that i wanted to do um at this point in my career and have that autonomy to to just do it and, and my partners had a different vision so um that that just led to a, a division um that you know when you're when your your views um and your directions change the band has to break up and they go their separate ways so i'm the solo artist artist now although i do have three excellent lawyers working with me and some and my staff came with me who have been some of them have been with me for over 20 years so mm. um i'm uh, really really enjoying this
0: good now what's the five year vision look like
1: well, I don't know. Um, I think that I'm in very much a training phase right now with uh, the lawyers who work with me. They are. Um, I I am not as smart as like I could not do the things that they're doing at this stage of their career. That that uh, when I was there, honestly, they're they blow my doors off all the time, and um, so I'm in the process of training them, hopefully to get them um, some good trial experience. With the pandemic that's proving to be quite difficult in my jurisdiction there's this is now the fall of 2021 and we have no civil trials going on so um getting trial experience means you've got to go to a different jurisdiction i guess Mm -hmm. but that's okay because a lot of trials are now virtual
0: yeah so when you say no civil trials like even virtually there's no civil trials no the judges
1: are the judges are all tied up doing either the backlog of criminal trials because no jury trials were done for so long and you know the murderers and rapists unfortunately continue their um, work and need to be dealt with and those are jury trials in the main so uh, and and then like there's over 800 or something like that and then Mm. And then the family law cases, child welfare, custody, those kinds of things. I you know, their backlog, the I understood that the emergency cases are being tried into twenty twenty three. So
0: mm-hmm.
1: we're the poor cousin.
0: Yeah. Boy, it's changed a lot of things this pandemic, yeah. hasn't it? Yeah, I'm going to ask yeah. you a bonus question that I didn't send you in advance. I'm going to just, but because you brought up the pandemic and the changes within your office, someone asked me this question the other day and I thought it was just fascinating. So I'm going to ask you, what is the most important thing you learned about yourself through the pandemic?
1: I was separated from my grandchildren uh, for a very long period of time. And that was heartbreaking. And that was a surprise to me. I thought I would, I didn't know how much that would have affected me. Mm. Um, so that was, that was a profound, uh, bit of learning that I, I I think I appreciate now that from the perspective of being a grandmother, just how precious those early years are and didn't want to miss any of it. Mm didn't like, I did not like that at all. um me very <laughs> Yeah.
0: Well, for those of us that are social and family oriented, there's no doubt that was some kind of yeah, no fun to to do that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and I'm a hugger.
1: Like not hugging people. Yeah. Is not that so I'm a hugger. So I just didn't. <laughs> yeah. I have my clients will automatically embrace me. Like at the end of a case, when you're we're saying goodbye, that that will happen. and So I'm. I'm a person who needs human contact, and I just found the whole yeah. thing very difficult.
0: Yeah. Oh, I'm good. And is most of that back in your life now? Most absolutely. are all even? Yes. I think
1: Yesterday, you heard my grandchildren downstairs, and one of them yeah.
0: snapped at
1: the, at the other end of the hall. So um, yeah. helping out my daughter is uh, uh, a weekend priority for me, for sure.
0: Oh, good. Lucky all the way around, huh, for all of you?
1: Yeah, all absolutely.
0: Of you. Yeah. Okay, well, um, with that, Barb, I think we'll end this up unless there's anything else you'd like to tell us or anything else you have to say?
1: No, just that uh, I, have, I always enjoy working with you, Chris. Um, I learned so much and you explain things so well and put me in touch with great people. So uh, I just wish you very well and hope that your five-year plan can, is uh, definitely to continue on too.
0: Yeah, it is. It absolutely is. It is. (laughs) So we'll see you. So thank you uh, once again, Barb, for the generous sharing of your time and your knowledge and a little bit about yourself. Um, And take good care.
1: Thank you. You too.